one one thing that I would probably say to anybody listening is is that a great time to do this is when you change your strategy so or as you evolve your strategy because EVP is about what the business wants what employees want and where those things meet and if you're and if any one of those things are changing you've got to relook at your EVP Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of the Private Equity Power Talks podcast I'm your producer Richard Ayliffe In this episode, we round off our series of talking to PE-backed executives outside of the CEO role. We're talking to Ange Patico, Chief People Officer at MVF. Over the past six years, Ange has been responsible for creating and implementing a strategy that makes MVF a great place to work, resulting in the business coming first in the Sunday Times Best Companies to Work For in 2020. In this pod, Ange reveals how she nurtured a high-performance and learning-driven culture that empowered MVF employees to reach their potential and exceed expectations. We also discuss Ange's approach to hiring, staff retention, and her thoughts on the so-called great resignation. Now, over to Sam and Ange. So here we are for uh, the next episode of Map of the Maze. And in this episode, I'm, I'm delighted to be joined by Ange Patico. Ange is the Chief People Officer of MVF. And this, this is gonna sort of bookend our, our series, talking to executive directors in private equity about businesses. So lovely to see you again, Ange. Good to Thanks see for you. joining us. I thought maybe what, where we could start is the sort of, differentiation between an HR director and a chief people officer. Um, you, you've spent your career in in human resources and people, haven't you? Yes, and so uh, you are now chief people officer of MVF, a, a, a fast growth private equity backed business that's been through a couple of rounds of private equity ownership. And I just wonder what, what is the difference? Is there a difference between a HR director and a chief people officer? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I think some people might say that there isn't, but for me, there definitely is. Um, for me, HR is very much about, I call it the pen pushing role um, and the process role and a role which is more about, <clears throat> I guess, those elements of uh, HR that people might recognise around policy and um, telling people what they ought not to do yeah. rather than empowering people as to what they can do. And so for me, a chief people officer is really more about um, the culture of an organisation and and thinking more about how to drive value within organisations. The role of a CPO for me is no different to anybody else on the exec board. Mm-hmm. in the sense that you're there to drive value for the shareholders and the, it's just the way that we do that is thinking more about the people aspects of it um, culture organizational health organizational effectiveness how do you develop help your ceo and the rest of the exec board and senior leaders develop the organization from a people perspective mm-hmm. and how do you empower your people to do the right thing um, a good analogy i always use is like if you think about a policy I hate policies. As a CPO, I hate them because uh, an HR person would say, we absolutely need policies for everything. Policies are written for the majority of people to tell them what not to do or for people who do things wrong. Mm. Um, And if you think if you've got an organisation of 100 people, there's going to be very few of them who who come to work 
to get things wrong. <laughs> um, so why not empower them, give them guidance? I actually think policies could be summed up in, uh, if you're going to write policy, you might as just, well, write, do the right thing. Mm. That's, a, that's your policy for your business. Mm. So that's, that's how I explain the difference. It's not about, I guess, strangling people and innovation and um, the art of the possible. The, the difference for me for being a CPO is really trying to take away boundaries mm-hmm. and empowering people and giving them tools and uh, helping them to, to do amazing work in, in an environment that appreciates innovation and growth. Yeah. Um, so are we distinguishing between HR and people uh, or is it just this is now people? Because um, HR, um, what we're talking about there is sort of policies and procedures, um, manuals. Yeah. Uh, but those HR sort of grew up in the, in the age of uh, heavy industry and engineering and manufacturing. And, yeah. you know, those, and in those environments... Quite, quite rightly so. You needed to yeah. sort of when you when you employed people had to worry about whether you were someone was going to die on exactly. shift or something, and that's sort of exactly. where HR came from. Didn't yeah. it? it sort of grew up, but in today's world of um, tech and tech-enabled business services and certain sectors, it's just it's just not really appropriate, is it's, it? It's, so it's is it just not. the evolution of of HR into people, or do you still see a difference between the two? Yeah, I think it is an. It's it's fair to say it's an evolution because you know you had personnel management. If I think back to my my first masters, it was actually in personnel management and industrial relations. I've never <laughs> used the industrial <laughs> relations side of things at all. Thank you, LSE. Um, but uh, you know. There are organisations, if you say, as you've said, which for the for those organisations it is appropriate. But the last um, ten plus years of my career have all been in the digital environment, and within that sector, your real innovation and creativity and growth um, are important drivers. And so, uh, things that would shut down innovation and creativity. Are, are not helpful and so that evolution from personnel management HR to people and culture is really important I think it doesn't mean that HR doesn't get done somewhere in the background because yeah. you've still got to run a payroll and you've still got to make sure that you're uh, compliant and all those things but you do those in stealth mode it yeah. doesn't have to be it's not the leading edge no, of what you're doing exactly there. nobody needs to know keep it quiet <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so um, tell us about this business when you arrived uh, you've been here for what, six, nearly six years six years yeah, gosh. Um, and, the, and the, the founders were were still very much running the business they now were. a CEO the founders are still here aren't they but yeah. you know, well they, they are still here but not day to day they're actually part of the shareholder board and that's it they're not involved in day to day running anymore so yeah so how how because I guess you were, you were taking a business from founders mm-hmm. uh, who had you know, growing the business in a way that um, was a reflection on who they were and and their styles and personalities. And mm. uh, in, in six or seven years, you must have scaled the business. Yeah. Uh, incredibly. I mean, what sort of people were there? How many employees were there then and how many are there now? Sure. So the business, when I joined, it was just under 200 people. It's now over 530. Headcount is a, always a challenging one to you. So, uh, but from a revenue and EBITDA perspective, we, we have grown substantially uh, more um, and are looking to grow triple the size even. So, yeah, we've got big ambitions. Yeah. Yeah. And it's worked well because... Last year you won 
uh, MVF won mm. uh, the Sunday Times Best Company to Work For. It was back in 2020. Covid has done a number on, on everybody, I think. But yeah, 2020 we won. So, I mean, that, um, tell us a bit about that process. It must have been, um, you know, a huge amount of work to get to there. And I'm sure mm. it wasn't driven on the basis of winning an award. It was no. It was driven on the basis of, you know, creating a platform and a culture on which the business could grow from. But yeah. tell, tell us about uh, perhaps some of the sort of key elements of how you came, came to be the best sure. employer in the UK. Sure. So we, we always had in our mind's eye, I guess, a, a, a desire to be a great company to work for. Um, and, and by the way, winning that award is great, but it's not where we start. <laughs> You don't want to end there, do you? No, no. I I just, uh, it's a great award to have. And uh, thank you very much for the award, by the way. Uh, But uh, I do believe in needing to continue improving and getting better. Um, So the, when I first came, um, we were, I believe it was number 10. um, And then... um, it was either number, actually no, it was number six and then we went backwards to number 10. So, but I, I kind of knew that that was going to happen because I came into a blank sheet of paper and it's not all to do with me, by the way. So um, I, I didn't come in and then set this agenda and then all of a sudden we're going to move from <laughs> six to number one. No. It didn't, it's not all about Ange. Um, it, it took a team effort to do that. It took great senior leaders and it took also understanding or coming to a realisation of what parts of our culture uh, was still working for us, what wasn't, and also what what was missing. Mm-hmm. And I think some of the key things for me, we quickly realised that actually we needed more of a learning culture within our business. We talked a lot about learning and we talked a lot about developing people and progression. But back then it was very much um, seen as learning and progression resulted in a promotion. And um, when you're growing and scaling a business, you can't keep promoting everybody. <laughs> so progression, we have to very much think about how do we how do we change the narrative on that and how do we introduce progression as something which is about growing deeper skill set as well as um, potentially, you know, sideways moves and upwards moves. So yeah. that that has been um, pretty much almost a six-year journey when it's not over yet and still a lot of work to do. Um, very much focused on our values. So when I joined, our business had uh, eight or nine values, I think it was. But the, as a business evolves, your values have to evolve with it. And I think the, that the introduction of things like uh, diversity, equity and inclusion, which are very important topics to individuals, has also uh, been a, a great marker for our business in terms of focus areas. Uh, we got one of the other things that I remember is performance, um, getting really, uh, really, um, I suppose, intentional is the word that I was looking for around uh, setting clear direction on what good performance looks like and also not tolerating poor performance as well. It was taking us 10 months to do something about poor performance. And I was like, uh, what? <laughs> 10 months? Um, so in a fast-moving, fast-paced organisation, we had to change that. And if you do it in the right way, people will understand it because nobody, nobody wants to be a poor performer. People genuinely want help if they're doing something that they ought not to do. So um, just 
understanding things like that and and putting markers in place to support the business around topics like that and being and taking people on the journey I think is what helped us to get to that kind of great company status because that award is voted on by employees it's not got anything to do with what we say about ourselves it's got to do with what they say about us yeah so really proud of it but as I said uh, we're Doesn't now in 2022 <laughs> <laughs> and we've got a lot of work to do because COVID had come and changed everything. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, creating a learning culture and a learning environment is really interesting. Um, we, we did a session with our CEO community uh, last week with a chap called Glenn Elliott. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the founder of Reward Gateway. You yes. probably know Glenn. I do know Glenn, yeah. Um, and I, in that session, we, I was really sort of dipping into the sort of challenge, which I, we very much feel in Pet Talks, is a small growing company mm. and scaling that, scaling almost from sort of zero, um, once you get to 100 employees, for us that would seem huge, wouldn't it? Um, 100 to 500 employees, that's a, that's a bigger, bigger jump. But, yeah. you know, I was trying to sort of get into Glenn because he founded that business from, from scratch, just how he managed to go from sort of zero to 50 in, 50 to then 100 and he was Mm. really talking about the need to develop people internally Um, you know the the myth of going out and hiring just incredible people when you're a small rapidly growing company is Mm -hmm. is a myth because uh, you know you're not Apple or Spotify or Netflix you can't go and take your pick you've got to find talent who buy into what your business does and what you're trying to do and you know get on the mountain with you and then you've got to develop them Mm -hmm. Um, and he was taught he was championing that sort of area of creating a learning culture yeah and I just wonder how you did that because the Mm -hmm. the scale you were at was probably sort of 100 plus employees pretty much moving Mm -hmm. upwards so how did what sort of practices did you put in place what sort of programs that you put in place sure so for us creating a learning culture was all about democratizing the democratization of learning it's a hard word for me to get my tongue around Um, (laughs) uh, but we we made all of our learning is for mvfers by mvfers and that will that continues to be a theme for us so by what i mean by that is identifying um, first of all, hiring people for their values. So that's really important because we know then that everybody, then they're not carbon copies of each other, they're not robots, but we all um, have agreed that we want to drive to be world-class and we want to earn trust and we want to help others succeed and having that as the basis for learning is really important. So that is something that uh, is the foundation for all of our learning. And then understanding as well that the curriculum, we actually wanted to build a curriculum for learning. So we start off in our business with, from an onboarding perspective, giving everyone the same understanding of what MBF does as a business. And we have, um, when I arrived, uh, my onboarding, sorry Jules about this, but my onboarding was Jules giving me a list of people saying, uh, you might want to go and meet all of these people and have a conversation with them. (laughs) That was my onboarding. And I was like, we can't have people coming into the business having that experience because uh, part of a learning culture is actually setting people up for success and so we now have Start Smart which is our uh, one week um, onboarding academy for everybody from Start Smart people then going and go into department academies where um, for most of most part for the most part it's a 12 12 week academy where they learn the skills required to do their role 
Um, one of the things we're working on now is uh, advanced academies where uh, individuals can be more T-shaped, so have breadth and depth, um, but not just in their own specific discipline, but across, if you want to go and learn about marketing and you happen to be in tech, advanced academies would help you to do that. So, yeah. And it's run by people in the business who have the relevant expertise. And then we were thinking more about, well, we've got now got two tracks and but initially we knew that it was that we wanted to develop more people as managers and so we developed a management development program which again developed by us but and run by us uh, with partners involved but now we're at the point where we need to develop specialists so now we're thinking about what do what kind of programs can we put in place for them um, and beyond that uh, we have uh, as part of our learning culture, it's very much about collaborative learning. So we have over 50 internal coach mentors who at any point people can sign up for uh, support from a coach mentoring perspective about any topic. And we do what we call blind matching. So you submit your, uh, your development request and you won't know which of those mentors you can get. It might be somebody that is more senior than you. It could also be somebody who's less senior than you, but just knows more about the subject than you. And so it, it starts to take away these boundaries that mm. exist uh, where learning, in some organisations, where learning is very much top down. Yeah. Um, for us, it, it's not about your seniority level. It's about what you want to know about, who exists in the business that has that that. Um, uh, expertise or that perspective and how can we connect you collaboratively to to grow that so and there's lots of other examples you know lunch and learns are employee employee led networks who help us to build knowledge but it's all the foundation of it all is coming from within yeah um, and if we need to bring in external support we do that in partnership so we always co-design programs uh, we don't ten generally tend to have external partners coming in running our programs for us will they'll run them with us mm -hmm. so because you have to appreciate the culture of the organization in any learning that you're building so i love it i get very excited about learning and i shall i i i, I also think that one of the things that we've also done is um made it commercial as well so although it's learning that's developed by us everybody gets a training budget and but people will spend their training budget on internal courses that we have built mm -hmm. so uh, that just means that we can continue because they're paying us we can continue to develop more and mm. more and more and more because they're plowing their training budget back into the business so you, have you got people in your team that are building those courses mm -hmm. with the line managers that yeah not just the line managers, the sort of the leaders, the line managers and the individuals with the expertise that develop the programmes? It's a really good question. We have, however, um, it's not a mass massive team. We've actually got a team of two from an L&D perspective and L&D is also my sweet spot. But what James, shout out to James Adams, what James has done brilliantly, he's he has done what a learning culture does, which is to share knowledge. And he said, well, I know how to, I know how to um, uh, kind of, diagnose learning and uh, design a course that will help uh, to help somebody to to kind of close the gap in their learning I also know how to evaluate so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that all in a course for you and if you're somebody who wants to design learning in the future you have to come on this course and then we'll allow you to do it and we have a, a way of looking at quality of those courses that other people in the business develop to make sure that they're of a high standard and then they all go off and 
run them. So we've got something called learning fundamentals now. Nobody in our business that does any form of, le- of kind of training hmm. can design a course unless they've been on learning fundamentals. Brilliant. So, yeah. Otherwise, poor old James, he'd be inundated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I asked the question because we know how long it takes to develop a, it's massive. a program. <laughs> it takes it's, a long time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the very, you have to go through a number of iterations before you get it right. Yeah. So it takes a lot of hours. It does. Yeah. Okay, well, that's, that's great. Um, it's given us good, I think probably given our listeners some good uh, nuggets in terms of things that they can start thinking about and putting into practice in yeah. terms of, of creating learning culture and development let's let's talk about performance now so mm. um i mean I, I keep i keep talking about referencing glenn here so we'll have yeah. to send him the podcast <laughs> in the same conversation he was talking about the need to keep organizations fresh yes you know so um as much as uh, a metric of headcount and staff turnover and keeping people in place for a long period of time is is, is a real positive mm. if it's not freshened it can be quite a negative as well yeah um, and uh, to do that effectively you need to performance manage don't you so yes. and i'm sure you or tell us how you how what, what sort of things you've put into place here mm-hmm. in, around performance management and then i really want to talk about 360 feedbacks and giving yeah. feedbacks so, Quite interested in yeah, that. love a bit of feedback. So, um, performance management at MVF is uh, part of our way of life, I suppose. So, unlike, I guess this is a good example of HR versus uh, people, I suppose, because uh, unlike some businesses, we do not do annual performance reviews, which are nonsense in my opinion for digital tech businesses because they move so quickly. People don't want you to tell them how they're doing. One, at one point during the year so yeah. we we have continuous conversations we will um, and we have our overarching strategy and then we have our KPIs as a business which then tell us what success should look like and then for each person within a team or each director let's say each team will have their overarching goals that they need to achieve and then we that gets kind of Uh, kind of cascaded down to individual within my team and I'll take my team as an example I do not force every individual to do to have objectives because their day job is pretty involved already and their day job is set up in order to help achieve the big aims of our business so uh, you don't have to have an objective if you don't want to because you have to have capacity for that yeah Um, so that that's the first thing I think there's a misconception that everyone must have objectives within a business in order to performance management, you don't need to do that. Uh, second thing that we have, that apart from that cascade and setting direction, which is really important for performance management, we also make sure that people are clear on the deal. So what do you get? If you're doing a good job, what is it that you get out of it? So, um, and I do, I should say at this stage, we are not there with all of this. So yeah. um, I think sometimes we know kind of, I would say the, a lot of businesses will say that they know the theory behind these things, but doing it in practice is really, really hard. And um, know, being clear on the deal for me is one area that we need to do work on at MVF because um, pre-COVID, I could have told you what our value proposition was and what people wanted versus what the business wanted and where that intersection was. Mm-hmm. Post-COVID, well, the world has changed. 
Um, and the, uh, we've always had a strong employee voice in the sense that we ask people regularly for their input, but um, the world of work has changed, people's personal circumstances have changed, there's a lot more purpose and meaning that people are looking for in their roles, and um, what's important to people has changed. And so we're about to embark, starting in April, on a series of focus groups and uh, surveys so that we can actually start gathering information on what is now important to people because your EVP does not it's not a, it's not rigid mm. so it does change and it does evolve and at the moment that is something that there's a disconnect for me and for the rest what of the What was it before COVID then? Where was the intersect? So the intersect before was around our model, we would hire uh, emerging talent, like you just said actually, emerging talent and uh, grow those individuals with our learning culture and um, we've got a lot of people that then would stay with the business and kind of grow into future leaders etc. But our people are staying for longer, so our average age over the last six years has changed from 25 to 32. Um, which is fantastic. I, I take that as you know mm. huge success, yeah. but uh, there's a difference between what a 32-year-old wants and a 25-year-old wants. Yeah. A lot of those people are considering their life goals. They might have, they might be parents. Yeah. They uh, some of them don't want to be managers. They might want to specialise in a particular area, um, and uh, the market is also there's huge pressures in the market particularly with through covid mm. with things like the great resignation which has done a number on everybody mm. um where even you, here even here yeah absolutely digital in fact digital marketing and technology companies have been hit the worst as part of the great resignation so because the amount of money that people are willing to offer yeah uh, individuals is is highly ridiculous um so it does cause it's causing everyone a problem in the sense that the market is so much more competitive um but your proposition can't just be about how much salary you can offer somebody mm. because that potentially won't last mm. so that we are having to look at what is now meaningful to people um coming away from that initial proposition that we had because we yeah. actually now need a good mix of emerging talent and experienced hires and what experienced hires want is very different to what an emerging talent hire might want so it's going to be um interesting and it's going to be fun the other thing as well about that is um i would have said because i was looking at the data when i first joined mvf it was not a diverse business in the sense of gender ethnicity um sexual orientation it, it was it wasn't really our our five founders of five white males mm. and so when you looked at the data it it, it was more so it more so looked like them mm -hmm. and from a socio-economic perspective it also looked probably more like them as well so but now six nearly six years on um just over a fifth of our business are what we call leapers other businesses call it bane but we don't like that um so leapers is lived experience of ethnic people mm -hmm. uh just um over we're coming up to 50 50 male to men to women which Brilliant. is astonishing but i'm not happy because we don't have any women on our shareholder board and i'm the only woman on the exec board that's a problem mm -hmm. still um so uh from that perspective you we know that there are going to be things that are important to different diverse groups yeah that may not have been the case for our original evp yeah so 
it's exciting work, but it's going to be hard work. <laughs> um, Focus groups, then. So you're going to you're going to bring people in, sort of select people randomly yeah. to come and talk to you around a table or ask a series of questions. Oh, it, it, we are, but it won't be random. Some science in that, isn't there? There is, yeah. We, we, it won't be random at all, so it's been very careful thinking. We've got just over 18 focus groups planned for individuals that are already in the business, but then we also have segmented groups that we would like to invite back uh, that have left our business, because there's also learning in that too. Yeah. Um, so it's, it, it's going to take us about six months. So it's not an overnight piece of work. And I think one, one thing that I would probably say to anybody listening is, is that a great time to do this is when you change your strategy, so, or as you evolve your strategy, because EVP is about what the business wants, what employees want, and where those things meet. And if, you're, and if any one of those things are changing, you've yeah. got to relook at your EVP. Mm. Um, you can't assume that it's still the same. Well, we'll have to come back to you in six months and do it, do it. talk to you Keep, about Hold me accountable. <laughs> <laughs> so, so performance management then. So, so the, the, Sorry, an, the yeah. annual review is out. Um, yeah. Regular one-to-ones. Mm-hmm. Um, what other things have you put in so place? So we also have values assessments. So I mentioned before yes. that we hire for values. Um, we do, uh, both what you do and how you do it is uh, equally important. So you could do a a great job on what and deliver amazing stuff but if the way you go about it stinks then we don't want you here so um i always use the phrase we don't want brilliant jerks and we really don't so um uh, so it's you can be great at what you do but if you piss everybody out sorry am i allowed to swear yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's not swearing yeah if you do piss everyone else off in the in the process then that's counter a counterculture to us so there's that we also have um and, and values assessments although we do them typically in service of our um, salary review once a year you can an individual can actually request a values assessment at any point in the year so right. um, it's self-generated one of our values purposefully is seeks and gives feedback regularly so let's you, go for it yeah so you have to <laughs> if you're going to get a poor score if you don't if you don't have any evidence that you've been doing that. We also have any time feedback, so um, individuals can request feedback at any time, but also people can give feedback at any time, and it can all be recorded in service of performance management. So uh, that's another way. We have leadership traits. So for anyone who's um, manager level and above, we're very clear on. Uh, this is these are the behaviours that we're expecting when you get to these leadership levels and before you can be promoted um, we we really only started this probably uh, 12 months ago but so that before you can be promoted particularly at director level you you have to have feedback um, and the individuals who give you feedback are selected at director level anyway are selected by the executive board so you don't get to choose them it's chosen for you and actually it's done that way so that we can get well-rounded feedback from people before you are promoted. And if that feedback comes back and it's not looking great, then we'll put a development plan together for you before you can be promoted to director. So uh, those those are some of the things um, that we are doing. And we will we also have for some teams we have um, performance measures. Uh, so a good example might be uh, biddable. So paid marketing where uh, 
we know kind of what good campaign management looks like. You kind of want to have those measures in place so that people are clear on uh, what good campaigns look like, how many campaigns we're expecting to build, all that kind of stuff. Mm. So, um, how do you train? Because I think um, giving feedback and hearing feedback is is a real skill to it. It is. You yeah, know, yeah. Um, you can really you know make a mess of that in yeah. terms of uh, both ways. So, yeah. how how have you trained people to? to do that effectively. I mean, you know, I'd imagine I could quite quickly think, okay, well, they've probably trained their managers to do that, but you've got to train your employees to do that We as do, well. yeah. And I actually think the latter we, we, we need to do a better job of, and we were talking about that last year. So we, we do a great job of training our managers for the most part, because we have our Management Development Academy. As part of the academy that as they... As part of the academy, you yeah. are taught feedback modules, you're taught how to do it. We actually run a whole afternoon on <laughs> giving feedback um, and receiving feedback, not just giving it. So you're, t- you're taught in that module how to give, how to receive. Um, so managers are doing a pretty good job of it. We notice then that actually we need to train our employees to do the same because... Yeah. Um, how would they know? Yeah, exactly. So we've actually developed, um, it's yet to roll out, but we, we developed it and I wrote it. So I wrote a module on giving and receiving feedback and it's an e-learning module which is in you interact with it so uh, that's going to be the start of it training out employees so really excited about that and seeing how people are going to interact with with that what I do like though is that if you've been on our MDA um, most managers take that back and talk to their teams because we actively encourage them not to hold on to the information that they learn but to share it um, in service of uh, helping others um, and helping others succeed is one of our values so if you just hold on to knowledge it's a little bit like well yeah. you're not going to score very well um, so a lot of people do that they share the models they uh, get their teams practicing but I think that e-learning will really help the other thing that we are doing this year is rolling out night school and so I'm really excited about this um, myself and Michael Tex are Michael Tashira to those people that don't know him but we call him Michael Tex or Mr T as I call him um, uh, when we did leadership traits for the first time the feedback from a lot of our senior leaders was absolutely dire in relation to people that had been on the Management Development Academy the, the difference was stark and um, but I can't blame them because they've not necessarily had formal training on how to give feedback so Michael said Ange do you think we should run Management Development Academy for our senior our most senior director and above and exec board and I was like yeah sure I can do that but he's like let's do it at night I was like so that they don't get distracted during the day they can fully focus so night school starts on in April um, for six months 12 modules one of which is around giving feedback and I'm hoping that we see a difference there yeah Happy to share if anybody wants really? to know what we're doing. Okay, yeah, yeah, I'd love sure. to see it. Yeah. <laughs> love to see that. Um, tell us, um, we, we, let's just backtrack a little bit yeah. uh, on the great resignation. Ugh. Uh, so so everyone's, everyone is, is dealing with this now yeah. and struggling with it. I mean, what, how are you dealing with uh, wage inflationary issues and with great difficulty competition? Is- answer because I, I, I'm really one of those people I don't like I don't like making out like we've got it all together because yeah. I don't know one business that's, that has, has yeah. and, and also it's unhelpful if other people are struggling yeah. to hear a business that 
lie <laughs> about about things. So um, we are dealing with it with great difficulty, partly because MVF is a business which understands logic and there is absolutely no logic to the great resignation. So trying to find a logical reason for why it's happening and um, a logical way to deal with it is really tough, actually. Mm. So we we didn't respond straight away because... I guess there's the question. There was the question in our minds of: Is this, is this a, a kind of fly-by-night? Is this just a one-off, and is it, or is it here to stay? Mm-hmm. Um, but when you start seeing inflation rise, you got you know that it's not a coincidence. Mm. There's something awry in the entire market, um, and so we started looking at our data. So how has it impacted us? And has it impacted, have, have we been experiencing a, like higher levels of attrition across all teams or is it s- specific teams? For us, it was actually, when we looked at our data, it was specific teams. And I think I, I mentioned this at, um, at the conference, event that you guys yeah. had at the conference, that look at your data first, mm. because your data is gonna give you clues. And our data has led us to clues. Uh, so we've got pockets of our business which are impacted. Once we knew what uh, departments had been impacted, we then looked at a number of things. We looked at the benchmarking um, to see whether or not that had changed, because we have ranges for each of our roles. We also looked at our churn, um, as I said, but not just the numbers, but we actually called people that had left to find out where had they gone to, what what type of roles had they left for similar level roles or promoted level roles? How much more money were they being paid? Um, and then we would also talk to, um, we don't really work with a lot of recruitment agencies, but we know people that, that we obviously know them and we would talk to them to find out what's, what else is going on in the market, even though we might not use them to recruit our roles, they were very happy to share. So from all of that, um, we were able to learn that where we're based in the US, in Austin, um, salaries had increased by 33% over the last two years. Crazy amount of money. Um, we don't think that that's going away, so we've had to look at that and address that. Um, we've also had to look at marketing um, and tech. Those are the areas, not all marketing, paid marketing in particular. So we really have had to lean, lean in and say, is it all job levels as well, or is it... Mm. isolated and for us it's typically mid-management level mm-hmm. it's not senior and it's not emerging it's that middle management which is always hardest to keep because mm. um, particularly the way we train them this is where a learning culture can come and bite you in the butt because if you train people really well they're, they're other people want them much <laughs> yeah. yeah so um, we are we are currently um, about to go to our board next week with uh, with a a request about how we deal with that but it, it can't just all be about inflated salaries because otherwise you'll just keep paying more and more money and that hurts your business. Yeah. yeah so that's where the EVP work will also come in really handy yeah uh, but also looking at variable pay which we don't we haven't that's another way that we've evolved I suppose we're looking at do we need to introduce variable pay concepts to our business? Whereas we've never, we've we've not had those in six years that I've been here. So, mm. other than sales, obviously with commission. So, yeah, it's hard. It's really really hard. And if anybody out there has any other options, like things that they're looking at on options, please tap me because I'd love <laughs> to hear about it. Yeah. I'm not going to profess to Reach be an out. expert. Yeah. yeah, for sure. 
So uh, my last question is around the challenge of sort of uh, the glue that binds businesses together, mm. especially um, as you grow internationally. It's a it's a challenge that many of our members are dealing with as they as they grow for the first time into into new international markets, mm. and you've done that. You're in the US. We are. Um, how have you done that? It's <laughs> how, how you know so much of work depends on people's um, personal relationships with one another. Yeah. And um, businesses in the past have just tended to let people get on and do that and mm -hmm. um, perhaps more recently there are leaders out there who've looked at it and said well you know we can just let that happen but mm -hmm. you shouldn't necessarily believe that that's just going to happen and going to happen really well you have to try and stimulate it yeah Margaret Hefferman mm -hmm. she wrote a book called um, Beyond Measure right. I don't know if you've come across that book. I haven't no and she talks about um, it's the mortar that holds the bricks together mm -hmm. In a, in a culture and in a, especially in an international business. So mm. I'm just wondering how you've, you've promoted that here, how you sort of try and help interdepartmental relationships mm -hmm. develop and, and foster. Yeah, so MBF is really big on relationships and collaboration. Collaboration um, forms a huge part of our value set. And there's very little that you can get done in your role unless you're collaborating with other people, you will fail. So, uh, um, as well as, I guess, our social fabric is built around people developing relationship and relationships. If I take the US and the UK as an example, um, uh, our CEO is currently out in the US, so he's out there for a couple of weeks. We've got a roster of uh, senior leaders who continuously will go out to the US, and we've done that purposefully for the next year, um, and we'll keep doing that. Um, uh, there are individuals from the teams who also will go out. So, for example, our head of space is currently also out in the US. So she's gone out to uh, stake the ground out to see how their, their space is turning out and what else we might need to do uh, to make it feel more MVF and uh, fit our blueprint. The other thing that we um, also do is our, our US team comes over to the UK for things like MVF Fest, which is our learning festival. Uh -huh. um, but also we still even as big as we are, when we hit target, we all go away together. So um, it might not be Ibiza this year, who knows the where whole it will be. The whole company goes away. Wow. And that that is to help. It's not just for, it's not for a jolly. So everybody does have a good time, but the main outcome of that is to help people build relationships in yeah. service of better working, in, a better working environment and collaborative and collaboration. Yeah. So, um, and, and a lot of people really enjoy it. So. Um, we keep saying, oh, you know, when might we need to stop this? But actually, we're not going to stop it. We'll find a way to make it happen. So we set our trading target and everybody knows that when we get to that target, we're going away and everyone is going away. Brilliant. So, and How long do you go for? Uh, we go for four days. Lovely. Yeah, so over a weekend. Thursday. You'll stay in the same place in a, one yeah. hotel, and have a whole hotel. Yeah, have a big party to celebrate the trade and then lots of different types of events after that. And um, then in between, we have lots of other things. So they tend to be, they tend to be, all of our social aspects, I suppose, tend to be built around um, our performance and so trading targets. So for example, um, we're with the launch of the new strategy, 
at the end of this month. Uh, we've got a massive event afterwards to celebrate how far we've come, but also onto the next, the bigger and the better. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be a mass. And, and although the US guys are not coming over for that one, they've got their own event happening in the US. So, um, so that will be great. And we have things like interconnected virtual bingo and all sorts of things. So yeah. um, we, we are big fans. I'm just coming in here. You've got sort of breakout areas there. Of Loads. Having lunch together, and yeah. I was just listening to a few conversations, and um, you know there were people talking about stuff that they're dealing with at work, and yeah. you know that's you know that's that's social connection, that's social yeah. capital, isn't it? It is. Don't, I would also. It's a really good observation because actually it's part of the MVF Environment Manifesto. Our buildings are purposefully designed to encourage collaboration. Mm. So. Um, our head of space is ahead of her time when she's thinking about these things and also but we're also thinking about not just the physical space but the online space so tools that we use to encourage collaboration Mm -hmm. as well so things like Miro boards are amazing because it doesn't matter where you are everybody can contribute to a Miro board because it's online so um, I think this new way of you know, hybrid working is really testing a lot of companies' creativity um, because you have to think, how do you encourage people into a physical space, but how do you connect people yeah. in the online space? Yeah. So, how do you yeah, replicate what's happening out there when it's online? Yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah. <laughs> well, Angela, that's brilliant. We've got to let you get back to... Thank Back you. to work. Thank you for taking the time to You're speak welcome. to us. Sit and chat to you all day. <laughs> yeah, It'd be me great. too. We'd definitely like to come back in six months once, once do you've it, done do some it. of that work. And yeah, please do because it's a good way. Of, I want to be held accountable to these things because I think it's just it's helpful for me to know that you're going to come back and ask me about all these things. We won't be holding you accountable. Come on, Ange, have you done it or not? <laughs> Brilliant. Lovely to see you. Good to see you too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.